Welcome to Millennial 632. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Every 10 weeks I get to do that. I get to rhyme my name on the number. My name doesn't rhyme with any number. I don't think mine does either. This is where I'm at with COVID. I get excited about rhyming my name with the episode number. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on today's show, we're going to talk about problems with Instagram advertising, how people are being scammed. We're going to talk about the Snyder Cut and fan campaigning. We're going to provide some updates with Trump. We can say the word this week without punishment. Oh, yeah. By the way, I'm not dead for anyone who was wondering. Laura was very shit-faced by the time we finished recording to the point where in After Dark, she was that drunk where she was going, you guys are so amazing to the listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Let's be clear. It was to the listeners. Right. Not to Um, us. Right. Especially because I made fun of you for saying that (laughs) in Uh, that tone. I have to say that episode was a demonstration of what a great editor Andrew is because <laughs> as soon as it was done, I was like, oh, fuck. I sounded like such an asshole. And it wasn't that bad. He made me sound like a functioning alcoholic. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, there were stretches in After Dark where you were uh, putting a few seconds in between <laughs> words. And so I was cutting those out. Bloop, bloop, bloop. But it really wasn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, Anyway, so we're also going to talk later today with one of our listeners, Becky, who is juggling working from home while also being a parent. And we want to hear what that experience has been like and what tips she can provide, because a lot of people are going through that right now. And I think that's one of the big things we've been hearing about recently is just how hard it is to juggle being a parent and working at home as your kid is just a, a wall away. So we'll talk about that. Lots to get to. Also, don't miss the latest Millennial Variety Show that's on our Patreon. We played Codenames. This is a card game that I became obsessed with a couple years ago, and we found out there was an online version. So we decided to play it in the Variety Show. It was your two's first time playing, right? Yes. Yes. And I think we both suffered from um, pressure paralysis. Like, the the heat was on. And... um well, probably more like analysis paralysis, right, Pam? And um, we were just being very, like, I think we were overthinking it. We were. <laughs> you were more, <laughs> Laura. You yeah. were taking more time I to don't provide know. clues. There I were feel like I got in there a few times. It's like, Laura would not put this together. Never. It was it was a lot of fun, though. Please check that out. I, I want to play the game again with you guys because it yeah, was a me really too. good time. I think I'd be better at it. It wasn't just us three, by the way. Jewel, Pam, Pat, and Mark were also there. By the way, Pam, I love you, but I hate when you wear a sweater during the summer as we record. I feel like I'm transported to fall. Sorry. This is probably a bad time to also confess that I had a pumpkin spice latte today. (laughs) Oh, boy. What was the temperature? You know what? I'm not sure, but it's not as hot as it has been. Okay. It's a three-quarter sleeve if that makes you feel better. I guess so. And Laura, are we wearing the same shirt? The Mugglecast shirt? Yes, we are. (laughs) I can't tell. The camera's reversed. And I don't want to be like showing you my boobs because that's what's going to happen. But that's what I was trying to make happen. Oh, well. I noticed our shirts were the same color. That's why I thought that might be the case. That's funny. Also, check out last week's episode because like we were just saying, a couple of us got unintentionally very drunk and it ended up being probably one of our funniest episodes ever. So if you happen to skip that episode, please don't go back and listen to it. You will have a good time, I think. So I hate to start 
the week off on this show on a somber note, but this is definitely a story that we felt like we needed to discuss. On Friday, kind of later in the evening, I think towards around seven o'clock Pacific Standard Time, the world was shocked to learn that Chadwick Boseman, who many of us know from his role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, specifically for playing Black Panther, sadly passed away. And this was shocking, firstly, because he was so young. He was 43 years old when he died, but also because it turns out that he died of colon cancer. And according to his family, who released the statement and confirmed his death, he was actually diagnosed with with stage three colon cancer in 2016. Then the cancer slowly evolved to stage four. So over the course of, you know, some of the most pivotal roles he's taken on in his acting career, he was also um, battling cancer and nobody knew. That's what made this so shocking. It just came out of nowhere and you consider his age and we had no indication anything was wrong. It was it really blew the Internet away and anybody who loved Chadwick away. The tweet on his Twitter account uh, which was a statement from his family, became the most liked tweet in Twitter history because I think everybody was just, A, shocked, but also, B, moved by the family statement. Yeah, it's just a really sad story and an unfortunate reminder of how precious life can be and how uh, sometimes people go too soon, even yeah. the heroes. Yeah, and I something I wanted to make sure to highlight about this is that if the last few days have been a reminder of anything, like this... <laughs> I was kind of shocked by this because um, typically celebrity deaths don't hit me. Like, I don't mean to sound insincere or like callous or anything. Um, they don't tend to hit me this way, but this one felt different. And I was reminded of what a humanitarian he was. Um, and the fact that while he himself was battling cancer, he was in and out of children's cancer hospitals, visiting them so that they could meet T'Challa. Um, and just also thinking about what it meant to young Black children around the world, and especially in this country where we have such deep wounds surrounding the topic of race um, that seem to rear their ugly heads more frequently than ever now, it just really drove home what a loss this was and what a gut punch, you know? Um, Like, I was just going through Twitter and seeing so many videos and pictures of little kids, like little kids in Halloween costumes because they felt like, wow, there was a superhero who looked like me. And it was a depiction of someone who looks like me that isn't, like somebody that isn't like a historic reenactment about slavery, which again, like those movies are very important and need to exist. But I can't imagine the feeling that this must create for somebody who was getting to see some like someone who looked like them as a superhero. Yeah. And remember, Black Panther did so well. And it's because mm-hmm. there was a need for a superhero movie starring a all black virtually cast. I mean, it was so long overdue, and finally it arrived, and it blew 
the box office expectations away from what I remember. So yeah, just a very sad story all around. I think one of the other shocking aspects about it, Black Panther 2 was slated for 2022. So Marvel seemed to have every intention of of continuing this. And it seems like Chadwick didn't even tell the, the heads at Marvel that he was ill, or maybe they did, but not that he was seriously ill. Director Ryan Coogler, who directed Black Panther, he kind of hinted that he may have had an idea, but I don't think he had a sense of just how far the cancer had gotten. Obviously, there's no reason to sit here and talk about will they do Black Panther 2 or not, Um, but it will be interesting to see how they proceed there. Because, I mean, you know, Disney is a studio. They want to make money, and they're probably going to try to think of a way to make Black Panther 2 happen. It shouldn't happen. They should just say, you know what? We created a great film. We lost our Black Panther. We're going to forget about this. Maybe do a spinoff with Shuri or something. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Hopefully, they don't try to replace him. Yeah. I mean, I th- I'm i sure these conversations were happening within minutes of the news getting out there. So I don't really feel like it's something we need to speculate about. I'm sure that they're... <laughs> executive producers who were already doing well, that and um, a popular entertainment so. website screen rant did you see this pam they posted an article like an hour after the announcement being like what will happen to black panther 2 now that chadwick <sighs> boseman has died trying to get and that seo they, that's yeah. really in poor taste yeah and they got attacked big time and then it was either later that night or the following morning they took the article down and apologized but too little too late you knew yeah, that was inappropriate, but you up. did it for the clicks. I, I mean, you could wait like a week to do that, but right after is that's that's really Awful. important. Yeah. Awful. And I mean, Jewel, Jewel is correctly pointing out in the Discord that in the comics, the Black Panther mantle does get passed to Shuri. Oh. So that is, you know, a very likely outcome here. I think you can tell the difference between you know, fans who have concern, you know, for Chadwick's legacy, but also for the importance of these films speculating and like big like entertainment websites or like Hollywood producers speculating about it because you you, you can tell what the motivations are and they are different. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think that for now, we can just take a beat and just mourn this loss. It's a gut punch. Um, and just another example of like why we should all say fuck 2020. <laughs> right. This year is canceled. Right. I hate this year. Yeah, we've been putting together a list of 2020 things. And unfortunately, we're going to have to add Chadwick's name to that list for a project oh, that we're working on. Um, but to celebrate Chadwick and Black Panther, we are planning a group watch I don't want to call it a party, just a group watch uh, to celebrate Black Panther. And that's going to be open to the public. And we don't have the details hammered out yet, but keep an eye on our social media channels and we'll tell you guys. We're going to watch it all together and talk over Discord or or some chat room so we can all kind of watch it together and discuss it in real time. So that'll be fun. Speaking of Disney movies, Disney actually released a new movie in a movie theater, in movie theaters. Believe it or not, uh, it was The New Mutants. This is a film that actually has had a lot of problems and was delayed for a while. And then they decided to release it during a pandemic, I guess, kind of as an experiment to see how many people would turn out. This is an X-Men movie. I never got into the X-Men characters or movies, so I don't care about this. Obviously, you guys didn't go to the movie theater to watch this. It didn't do 
that well. I guess it did well for a pandemic. Here in America, it made $7 million over its opening weekend, making it the number one movie at the box office that weekend because there's nothing else there. What disturbed me, though, is that Disney actually made critics go to a movie theater to see it and not on the Disney lot. They made critics go see the movie in theaters with other moviegoers because they knew the movie was going to be bad. And when a movie's bad and they know it's bad, they don't uh, screen it in advance. I just find it sick that they would make people go instead of releasing a digital screener online like they do plenty of times, including with Mulan. I also thought it was in poor taste. And I get, I guess, the reasoning behind maybe not opening this up to critics because bad press. But at the same time, it's a huge slap in the face given the state of the industry right now as well. You know, like everybody's struggling for jobs and for them to say, you know what, we're not going to let people review this. Like how many people lost out on freelance opportunities that they might have gotten to to go check this movie out and give their two cents on it. You know what I mean? Right, right. So they made these critics go to the theater and these critics have to go. They have to review it. It's part of their job. Right. And, and then you have to shell out all that money. Right. And then you were and you were risking getting COVID from some some X-Men dork who who went opening night <laughs> as well. <laughs> Those X-Men dorks, I'm telling you, they don't practice social distancing. Meanwhile, Mulan is coming to Disney Plus, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Disney announced that it's going to be a Disney Plus exclusive, which is good, but you're going to have to pay an extra $30 on top of your existing Disney Plus subscription to watch it. And we were talking about this and saying, well, we don't want FOMO, so we're going to pay $30 to see this movie. Um, Luckily, I did get a screener the other day, so Pat and I watched it last night. And it's fine. Again, like with any of these live action retellings, I'm wondering why this had to exist in the first place when there's a great animated version. There's no music in this one, by the way. None of the classic Mulan songs. There's some musical cues, some hints of those great songs. Um, And it, it. So they lied. Why? What did they say? They kept saying everybody was worried about no music, and they kept assuring everybody that there would be music in the movie. There's small musical cues in between some scenes, but that's it. It felt more like an artsy film to me, actually. It didn't feel like a Disney movie at all. But, you know, it's got a good message, female empowerment. You can be just as good as a man. If you liked the animated Milan, I guess you'll like this movie. But I don't think I would pay $30 for it. It's just... I just can't get over the fact that you need to pay $30 on top of your existing Disney Plus subscription. Yeah, I think that's what turns me off about it, especially since we're quarantining as a small family unit. So it's a little too rich for our blood to say like, okay, we're paying $6.99 a month or whatever. Or like I bought my year of Disney Plus up front, so I've already given them $60. Right, yeah. And then to give another $30 for just one movie, um, I don't quite understand it, especially considering like Hamilton was just a Disney Plus exclusive. You didn't have to pay any extra to see that. I would have shit my pants if that had been the case. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I think that it would make sense if you could get, like, if you were quarantining with a larger family and everybody pitched in for it, then... And if you like Mulan. Yeah, yeah. And if you really like Mulan, I think it's up to people to decide 
what's best for them. I've heard arguments from folks being like, I also really want to be sure that I'm financially supporting a film that's made up of like a largely um, a a cast largely of like Asian background in its cast and crew. So, you know, so that it doesn't flop and so that the studios can't be like, well, I guess we'll never do that again. Like, I think that's also a totally valid approach to take. Definitely. Definitely. But also kind of weird during a pandemic when like 30 million people are out of the jobs and... Yeah. If it doesn't do well, it's not fair to judge future, uh, you know, movies on the performance of of this movie. Well, that's never stopped Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was going to say at the same time, you know, we all know that Disney is going to hold... Mulan to a much higher standard that they would hold something like New Mutants, you know? Right. Yeah. So um they need to do this this premiere access thing with like Black Widow because that'll be an all new story. It's Marvel. You know, people would be very curious to hear. I guess that's an origin story, right? So that might interest people yeah. too. It it seems like they'll do this again because there's just been too much hype around this premiere access to not do it again. So I, I, if they do it again, I would like definitely turn out for Black Widow unless the reviews are really bad. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see how people react to Mulan later this week. At least it's something new from Disney to look forward to in the comfort of your own home. Like, that's cool. Um, speaking of something new, this could totally be 2020 and COVID affecting me and making me notice things that were already happening before. But I wanted to take y'all's temperature on this. I am already seeing the flu vaccine heavily advertised in my area. Is anyone else seeing this? I have. Yes. I I was seeing this. It was like early to mid-August that all the drugstores were like, we have the flu vaccine. And I was like, isn't it kind of early? Maybe they're anticipating a rush of people this year because of COVID. So they want to get those out early to kind of disperse everybody evenly out throughout flu season. Yeah. Also, I've heard that this flu season is going to be bad so it's kind of like the perfect storm when you combine that with covid don't worry about it though you know once we hit april it'll start getting warmer and it'll (laughs) go away it'll be no no issue right and drink bleach you'll be fine if you do that too (laughs) um so i wanted to see when we're all planning on getting our flu shots since we you know we're the get vaccinated show that was our entire first season (laughs) was oh, asking God, surprise bitch that. people if they've been vaccinated yeah yeah i forgot about that well you might remember that i seriously delayed getting the flu shot earlier this year and i remember that visit to cvs very distinctly because we had that conversation on the show i was like damn i really need to get the flu shot and this is before the pandemic uh really hit america it was like a couple weeks beforehand, and I still remember buying a bottle of hand sanitizer in CVS. And I, I keep thinking like, gosh, remember those days when it was so easy to get hand sanitizer and disinfecting wipes? Good times. Um, but yes, I will <laughs> get my flu shot, I guess, within the next month or so. Like you said, I'm I'm seeing the signs, too, to get it already. So I usually don't get mine until about October, I guess, on average. So and And usually I'll get it because... You know, I happen to be at the doctor's office and they'll go, oh, I see you haven't had your flu shot. Like, do you want to do it now? So it's a a twofold visit. But given that right now, traditional doctor's visits aren't really happening, I guess I'm going to have to schedule a time to go to a CVS, which is probably much safer than going to, you know, a health practice. Yeah. So we were kind of tempted to go ahead and get ours. But 
I was like, let me look at the CDC website and see what they say about getting your flu shot early. And they actually recommend waiting until September, October in order to make sure that you're getting like peak effectiveness out of the vaccine, Um, especially with, you know, older individuals. They recommend not getting it super early, like in July and August, because it might not be as effective during the height of flu season. So because of that, I'm opting to wait until probably like mid to late September um, just to make sure that I've got like the most the highest window covered. Um, But I had never heard that before. I'd never heard that it depended on the time of year when you got it and that that had an impact on how effective it was. It's kind of funny that the CDC says that, though, because I have um, some friends and family that work at the hospital, various positions, nurses and such, and they've already gotten them at work. Wow. So you would think that, you know, working, being in the the health industry, healthcare industry, that they would say, you know what, like, let's hold off until September, October to get you vaccinated. I'm a little disturbed by Pam's fall priorities. PSL, August 30th. Flu shot, Okay, but I have a reason for that, the PSL that I got today. It's because Starbucks, my stars were going to expire. Oh, oh, my stars. Yeah, my, oh, my stars. My stars were going to expire. So I went to get a PSL because I wasn't going to lose out on the free drink. You know, speaking of that, my local Starbucks is allowing sitting inside and outside. What? Yeah. Is yours? I don't know. I just went through the drive. I wouldn't sit out there even if they were because, you know, I'm too fearful. Yeah, I was surprised by that. So I wanted to talk about Instagram advertising because I saw an interesting article on The Verge. I didn't know this until I read this article. There are a ton of scams going on with Instagram advertising. And I want to read a portion of this article. The writer, Zoe Schiffer, she says, Over the past few years, scammers have been pulling a bait and switch on consumers using Instagram ads to sell clothes, accessories, and home goods. The products look nice online, but when they arrive, they're often low-quality knockoffs. When customers complain, the companies, many based in China, give them the runaround that essentially boils down to you're never getting your money back for reasons that are totally out of our control. They just don't want to really give their money back. This is one of those things that probably should have dawned on me, but hadn't. And it made me think about how there's really no policing on Instagram in terms of the advertising. Anybody can say they have a cool product and then sell it through social media. And the reason I want to talk about Instagram specifically is because we do spend so much time on it. Um, So I just wanted everybody to be aware that Instagram ads can actually be Insta scams. (laughs) Good one, me. Have you guys ever bought anything through an Instagram or Facebook ad? Yes. What did you Um, buy? Actually, the lipstick I'm wearing right now, but it was a legitimate company who just happened to be advertising through Instagram. Mm -hmm. But you guys must see a lot of shit in the Instagram ads, right? Yeah. 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 You know, honestly, like, (laughs) not that these are scams, but but every advertiser we have on the show, you know, I'll Google. So like, for example, Third Love, which Uh we love. Mm -hmm. When the ad campaign was starting, I Googled Third Love. And as soon as I opened Instagram, Third Love was like right there. Mm -hmm. I know. So These companies follow you around as soon as you Google. And then some people swear that the phone is always listening to you. And then they'll turn what you're saying 
into advertising on Facebook and Instagram. I don't really believe that. I think that would be a huge uh, security loophole. And I think Apple and Android would crack down on something like that. But I don't know. It it does make sense because I swear sometimes I'm merely talking about something and then it starts showing up in my Instagram. But I think like I'm just Googling it and I don't realize that I'm Googling it. So it carries over to my various devices. But I, I've definitely seen a lot of crap products and now I'm really glad I actually haven't bought them. But I'm usually really tempted because, of course, these ads are also tailored to your interests. One thing I actually did buy the other day, and it hasn't come in yet, but I ordered a remote with physical buttons for the Apple TV because the Apple TV remote is such crap. I get a lot of tech ads on social media, and some of them are like standing desks or enhancements for my Apple Watch or laptop, stuff like that. I never really follow through with it, though, because a lot of the time this stuff is expensive. I just wanted to make everybody aware of that because... You see these things on Instagram and Facebook and you're like, oh, man, that seems so cool. That totally sounds like something I'm interested in because these ads are tailored to your interest. And then you might have this product arrive and it turns out to be total shit. A bunch of people have been sounding off in the Discord about your phone potentially listening to you and taking that dialogue and turning it into advertising. Jemima says this is actually a thing. I dated someone who worked at a company that did data mining. Uh, Here's another example. Roshni said, I was just telling my MIL about my Botox migraine treatments the other day, and I started getting ads. Blue Smith said, oh, I definitely think they listen. I was talking to my sister about considering trying to get pregnant, and then Spotify now keeps playing me maternity care ads. And then Beth says, I was talking about how Heinz ketchup is the best with my roommate one day, and then later had an ad for it pop up. Okay, so here's what I want all of us to do. Hold our phones close to us. Maybe even unlock it just to make sure it's listening. Okay. okay. And just say Heinz ketchup. Heinz ketchup. Man, I love me some ketchup. I wish I had some ketchup right now. <laughs> Heinz ketchup is pretty awesome. <laughs> all right, let's see what happens. I want to be pregnant. What's the other one I need to say? <laughs> My Botox is giving me migraines. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to search for those things. And then we'll see if I'm any of us... going to search for Heinz ketchup. That one I, I'd be inclined to believe, you know. That people would search for that Heinz? That people would not on a daily basis. A, a Botox migraine situation, you might for more research, but Heinz uh. ketchup... <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe you got to find out where the nearest Heinz ketchup is available. I would Google to find out if they have a tracker on their site, but I don't want Naz to start following me. I will say I can't think of any specific examples right now, but I have had the experience of like getting an ad for something and being like, I've never searched for this and wondering where it came from. It does seem like it happens, but how, how? And why wouldn't Apple put a stop to this? They really care about privacy. I know you grant apps access to your microphone, but they're supposed to tell you when they're listening, the little thing in the top right turns red and you see the microphone. I don't know. I just, I don't want to believe this. Heinz Ketchup. Well, okay, before we move on to some news, we wanted to hear a quick word from this week's sponsor. As Pam mentioned previously, Third Love, who we love. Um, Third Love does bras differently. They're designed with millions of different measurements, giving them over 80 bra sizes to suit your unique 
body. Every bra is made for your comfort with memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a smooth scratch-free band. I love the no slip straps that stay put without digging into my shoulders, and I also can't say enough about the durability. I used to have to purchase new bras at least once a year, but my 2018 Third Love bras are still going strong. And Third Love wants to help you make sure to find your perfect fit because fit is about size and shape. Their team of fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find that perfect fit and the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. And if you don't love it, every customer has 60 days to return it. Third Love then washes and donates all their gently used returned bras to someone in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. So far, Third Love has donated over $15 million in bras. So even though I doubt you'll want to return your Third Love bra, it's absolutely a brand you can feel good about supporting. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash millennial to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash millennial for 15% off today. Okay, so it's time now for the Rona Roundup. Unfortunately, the U.S. has now surpassed 6 million cases. It's just a staggering number. Of course, we never thought we would be here. The good news is that day by day, there is a decrease overall in this country. So at least there's that. But we're still at a a number of new daily cases that surpasses where we were in freaking March and April. It feels like we've made no progress over the past few months. We've just been stuck in limbo. Yeah, it makes me really salty when I see people (laughs) like participating in activities that are really high risk as though this isn't a thing that's happening. Because I feel like as somebody who's really been trying to do my part, In this, like, when I see people getting on airplanes, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, obviously, there are exceptions. Like, there are certain things, certain life circumstances that you don't have control over. But, like, I'm looking at the estimated 1 million Americans who are supposed to be going to Florida for Labor Day weekend. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Yeah. Why are you, Andrew, are you going to Florida? (laughs) No. Okay, no, no. you were you kind of had like a sheepish no. smile, and I was like, mm. "Yeah, I was just picturing you like staying away from the highway in Georgia that leads down to Florida because so many people would be <laughs> driving down that highway." I mean, I'm just picturing you like hiding. That's all. There are only like two highways in Georgia that go to Florida, and those are also the two most major highways in the state. So, yeah, no, I would not fly. Honest to goodness. I mean, I I won't say I won't during this pandemic if I have to, but it would just freak me out being on board with everybody wearing masks and like attempts at social distancing. And I'd be like, oh, my God, it's not working. We're all going to die on this plane. The normal things I think about when I fly because I'm a paranoid flyer as it is. So y'all might have seen a headline a few days ago talking about how Trump was um, pushing for uh a rush on this convalescent plasma treatment for COVID patients. 
Um, this is because FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn actually said that the plasma could reduce COVID deaths by 35% um, within a few days of these wildly inaccurate claims. Um, Stephen Hahn actually had to issue an apology for overstating the effectiveness of plasma as a treatment on COVID patients. So just another example of this administration attempting to bury how severe this crisis is. Not that we should be surprised at all. Um, and I also just wanted to make sure that we talked about a resource that people could use if they're interested in um, tracking where we are with the vaccine. Um, so the New York Times actually has a vaccine tracker where you can look at all the vaccines that are currently in the various like preclinical phase stages and then ultimately the approved stages. Um, if you look at the approved vaccines right now, there's literally only three of them. Uh, two have been approved in China and one has been approved in Russia. The Russian one was the one that I believe the Kremlin offered <laughs> to help us with. And the the FDA was like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Um, but one of the vaccines China has specifically approved for use on um, on its military. Oh. So it's definitely not widespread at this point. And really all of these looking at them, they're not even widely available. They're available for limited use. So mm -hmm. only specific segments of the population can have them. Um, but what is encouraging is that um, I believe, yeah, it's the AstraZeneca one that we've heard so much out of um, from the University of Oxford. Oxford. That is in phase three at this point. Um, and we've already heard that the UK has begun ordering doses of this. So hmm. it does make me think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. The only thing we have to keep in mind is that like, just because a vaccine is ultimately approved doesn't mean it'll suddenly be available to the millions of people who need it. So um, right. we can't allow ourselves to get complacent just because we hear that there's a vaccine or two that might be in the final stages before being approved, because it could still be months before those are available to and, the general public. And we know this dumbass administration is going to botch the rollout. Yeah, we just of know that already. There's no doubt. Okay, so it's time now for Trumpster Fire. The NBA, the National Basketball Association, has protested the shooting of Jacob Blake. Of course, the story continues to be huge. It was a really big deal when the NBA decided to not play their games late last week, and this had a ricochet effect. Um, some other sports decided to postpone some games as well, and you really don't see this happening on this national level. So it was really good to see that the people of the NBA and other sports organizations were putting their foot down and saying, hey, what happened to Jacob Blake and what happens in America is not okay. Interestingly, these protests from the NBA players forced an agreement with basketball arenas. Basketball arenas are going to serve as polling places this fall. And that is awesome. 
the NBA said, we are not playing until these arenas, you agree that these arenas will serve as polling places. That means it's going to be easier for some people to vote. And what's also great is basketball arenas are very large spaces, so you can socially distance people when they are trying to vote. So I thought this was really badass. And it just shows the power that sport organizations like the NBA have. Especially right now, because they they lost like the people that own these teams they don't need more money but they're already out a lot of money because a lot of these seasons have been postponed so good on the players for you know understanding that and using it for for a good cause you know to get what what they want and this benefits so many people so that's great yeah maybe this is the point where the country well at least a segment of the country can realize hey athletes speaking up about this for years at this point had a fucking point. I'd like to think so, but I saw a lot of comments on social media. Maybe they're Russian bots. I don't know. But these people who are conservative, clearly, are like, <laughs> just shut up and play. Don't protest. Oh, you know, 100%. I don't really watch a lot of sports. Baseball is my sport. But even my team, the San Francisco Giants, you know, they've, they've taken a stand on multiple issues over the course of the years, even in a liberal bubble like San Francisco. The comments on these Instagram posts whenever they're calling for social change is inundated with with conservative fans that are saying, you know, um, I, I've, I've been a fan for this many years. I can't support a team that's getting political. OK, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 which is everyone else is like, fine, like we don't need you. Like, it's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but- I it always <laughs> baffles me the entitlement of people who think that they're allowed to tell performers or athletes or whoever, hey, just do the thing that I want you to do. Don't have any thoughts or opinions of your own. This is something that we've even gotten on this show. Because, of course, we got our start with Harry Potter literary analysis. (laughs) And we've literally had people over the years be like, just stick to what you're good at. Just talk about Harry Potter. I don't want to hear about anything else. It's like, oh, um, I don't live in a little Harry Potter fucking snow globe. Like, I have a whole (laughs) life of experiences outside of that. So please go fuck yourself. And if you don't like it, don't listen. It's just really funny because most of these people that are making these arguments are also very much in support of our current president, who, if the president had followed this model of thinking, would never have been elected in the first place because he should have stuck to doing what he knows how to do. Run businesses into the ground. Exactly. (laughs) That's a great point. We still get this feedback from MuggleCast Mm -hmm. listeners because we have a wide audience and they do tune in for Harry Potter. But then, yeah, sometimes we'll make a reference to Trump or the current state of this country. And then we'll get a review a couple days later. They got to cut it out with the politics. It's like, you know, it's a passing reference. It It's an hour to an hour and a half show. And we spend 10 seconds mentioning Trump. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is all just a reminder that there is no right way to protest. It's been said before. I'm stealing it from smarter people than me. You can't you can't sit out a basketball game. You can't kneel. You can't be loud. You can't throw a rock through a window. The people on the right, many people on the right, don't want you to protest at all. They want to maintain the status quo. They don't want to listen to the other side. And it's disgusting and it's sad. I, I can't believe people brush off protesting. It's so important. It's it's caused so much change in this country. And it's mm-hmm. also your God-given right as an American just, you know, yeah. like, 
it protects you. You're allowed to do that. Go play basketball so I can watch and eat some pizza. I know. It's like they're not your fucking servants. Right. Like it's a privilege that you get to watch super talented people play Earl. Yeah. Like And you get to watch for free, by the way. It's not like <laughs> yeah, this is right. taxpayer funded or something. Right. And they're they're I mean, I know they're getting paid good money, but they're also running their bodies into the ground yeah. to do this thing that they love. So like if they want to talk about politics, they should be allowed to. Right. And Pam, you bring up such a great point because something I think people forget about athletes is oftentimes by the time they're like in their mid 30s, they're starting to be retired because your body simply cannot sustain that level of exertion over an extended period of time. So people are literally like causing lasting impacts on their bodies, even injuries on themselves in order to deliver this performance. And I just think it's the height of entitlement and hypocrisy to tell people how they should use their platform. So speaking of Jacob Blake, we just wanted to do, you know, a quick update on the latest out of that case. So we have since learned that um, Jacob Blake was paralyzed from the waist down as a result of being shot in the back seven times. Um, heinously fucked up. And there are still, of course, no fucking answers. But I wanted to talk about speaking of the height hip- of hypocrisy. I want to talk about this kid, this member of what I like to call the Twitler youth, who whose mother drove him to Kenosha to defend people's businesses in a city and state he didn't live in. And he brought his AR-15, 17 years old, by the way. So he had his mother sign off and he killed protesters unarmed protesters. Not only did that happen, but he evaded police arrest for hours. They didn't come, they didn't arrest him until the following day. In fact, there are multiple reports of the police literally driving, walking past him while he's holding this huge ass gun. There's not just reports, there's video of there's this. There's video. I yeah. watched it. I was in shock. Uh, you're watching, you see him shoot people, you see him walk directly to the police vehicles, and I'm sitting there waiting for them to arrest him, and nothing happens. He walks right by the cops. All caught on video. They didn't catch him, I think, till the next day. I was in shock. Unbelievable. I'm not even, honestly, it's not even shocking to me anymore, because Ugh. this is the height of white privilege. Yep. Honestly. Yep. That a 17-year-old white teenager white male teenager could go armed to a protest and not face any ramifications or consequences unfortunately it's welcomed in a lot of state showing up at a protest with a weapon i've seen this in just as recently as this weekend in a city my friend sent me a video of a protest and a guy standing right near him with a freaking assault rifle And it's no big deal because open carry is fine in this state. And we'd just like to point out, I mean, we're not even going to name this fucking kid because I don't want to elevate his status. It's so fucked up because he's got 
sort of hero status in some conservative circles where they're like raising money on GoFundMes and stuff for him and like saying that he's representative of like of really standing up for your right to bear arms and that they need to follow this model. And I'm just like, so this kid was 17. You know who else was 17? Trayvon Martin. And he was literally just going to buy fucking Skittles. But not even that. I mean, like, right to bear arms. Okay, yeah, I get it. That's in the Constitution. But I think what people really forget when they're making that argument is that it's really obtuse because you're also stifling potentially people's First Amendment right to assemble and to protest, you know, by Mm -hmm. you showing up with these weapons and you're strong arming them out of being there because people fear for their lives. And that's not okay either. Right. So let's turn to a later topic. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about um, some movie news. The uh, Snyder Cut has been long in the making, and we finally got our first trailer for this. Did you guys check this out? It dropped last weekend. I did watch it. I've never been a huge Justice League fan, but I appreciate Justice League and DC for what you're about to talk about. This trailer was released as part of DC Fandom, which again happened last week, and Zack Snyder The original director of Justice League was on hand. He attended a virtual panel where he talked about the Snyder Cut. For those of you guys that maybe aren't aware, um, obviously, you know, Justice League was released in theaters. Zack Snyder was originally meant to helm the film, but he had to step back after the tragic passing of his daughter. And so Joss Whedon stepped in to finish the film up. And what we got left a poor taste in a lot of fans' mouths. And so this initiative to release the Snyder Cut was born. And it was completely, you know, fan organized. There's a lot of fan campaigning around this. And now we're finally going to get it. I think what was most interesting to me in terms of what came out of this panel was the length of this new cut of the film. It's going to be consistent of four one-hour-long parts, and all of them are going to be released on HBO Max in 2021. Was anybody else shocked by the runtime of this? Like, I (laughs) did not expect four hours. How do they have so much footage? And apparently a lot of it is different from what Whedon did, if it can be a whole new cut, because I assume the original Justice League was, what, two and a half hours, probably? Maybe 245? Something like that. Yeah, maybe 215, two and a half. Well, and it just didn't do very well, so I... From my perspective, I'm like, do we need more? (laughs) Like, for a movie that already didn't do well? But there is a diehard DC fandom. We have uh, a DC diehard on Hypable, Alani. She's just, oh my god, tweeting about DC all the time. And I enjoy following her for it because I like to see that part of fandom. But they are passionate. Yeah, and and also a lot of people are fans of Zack Snyder and what he has been able to do uh, in terms of not just in terms of the DCEU, but also in his other films as well. But I think that um, one of you, I can't remember who raised a really good point, which is that, you know, uh, DC films have notoriously been essentially hit or miss. uh, But people seem to be really excited about the Snyder cut. I mean, do we think that this has the potential to revive the franchise or do we think that people are going to be 
disappointed in the long run (laughs) i'm a little bit worried because everyone's so excited people like you said they were disappointed with justice league and now they're clinging to hope that Zack snyder is gonna be able to hop into the editing room and suddenly fix all the problems with the original justice league and not being a huge dc fan myself i'm skeptical of that idea but if you're a diehard fan you want to believe there's a better version out there and that's why people have been clamoring for the snyder cut laura what are mark's thoughts on this and your discussions because i know you mentioned you guys yeah, had talked about this his feeling is too little too late and he's a big dc fan i mean like batman is his fucking jam um but he was just kind of like you know, what's done is done. Even being a big fan myself, I don't know that I particularly care to see somebody's original conception of a film that's already been out on the market and didn't do well, especially considering the fact that DC just seems like it's always trying to play catch up with the MCU. And I feel like they need to stop trying to do that. I feel their bread and butter, honestly, has been with things like Joker. I thought that was a brilliant film. And I <laughs> Andrew was very unco- made very uncomfortable by that film. Pat um, hated it because it made yeah. him uncomfortable. I actually well, liked it. But... I, I think that was the point of the movie, though. It was supposed yeah. to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. I honestly think they would do better to stick to one-off projects like that. I mean, even, yeah. you know, like the Batman looks really compelling to me. Yeah. Or Shazam was really good. Mm-hmm. Jewel is disappointed that you liked Joker, Laura. <laughs> I think she feels the same way. She said, "Ugh, you liked Joker." <laughs> I did. I did. Did you like Joker, Pam? I'm sure we spoke about it. We've, I we think. Got- I think, like Pat, it kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I keep meaning to rewatch it to see if I, if I form a more finite opinion on it. But I think I honestly blocked it from my memory. Yeah, it's just the end. That's what really disturbed me more than anything. That was. Woo! Yeah, but I know Max that you now. can you can argue that that the movie was meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. And so the fact that it did make you feel uncomfortable means that they were effective in the story they were trying to tell. But that's a stretch. One I thing I find interesting about the Snyder Cut is you said it's going to be released in four hour long installments. I guess they're doing that to make people hang around in HBO Max for two billing cycles because if you release it in the middle of the month or in the middle of somebody's monthly subscription then you gotta you get to charge them for two months Um, whereas if they just released it as one movie you could sign up one day watch it then cancel it the next day so i assume that's why they're doing that i would hope that at some point they would release the snyder cut all as one actual movie but maybe that'll be another year from now once saw the anticipation is burned off right and during the the fandom event they did mention that that they were going to do that eventually but i'm sure like you said they're looking to keep people around that are subscribed so that'll probably come after it is interesting and i think it signals how badly hbo max wants some big tv series to keep people around and i i keep going back to harry potter like if there's going to be a harry potter tv series it's going to be at hbo max or Wizarding World TV series. And this this the way that they're releasing the Snyder Cut just reminds me how badly they need some big name TV projects going on there. 
Right. And one last thing that I wanted to touch on in terms of this segment was, again, going back to the idea that we're really only getting this because of fan campaigning and fan petitioning. I know that we've all we can all probably think of an example where fan campaigns have done a lot of good. They've revived shows that, you know, got cut way too soon by network television. Brooklyn Line 9 is a great example of that. And also One Day at a Time over at Netflix. But you know, there's no denying that there can be a lot of toxicity involved in terms of fan campaigning. And I think the Snyder Cut is a very interesting example of something that's been effective and has actually worked, especially because, you know, the studio is basically saying, yeah, we know that we made a bad product, even though we released it. Now we're going to do this like do over. You know what I mean? This works really well, though, because you know, Zack Snyder had to leave for very good reasons. And people were excited for Snack Zack Snyder's vision. Snack. Snack, snack <laughs> Snyder's vision. <laughs> With a Is good he a snack. snack? He, he's a snack, yeah. I don't find him very attractive. No, but so he had a very good reason to, to depart. And people want that version now. So I say give it to them. Like, I don't think there's any shame in how they're doing this. I don't think it's an admission that what just did was bad i think it could be an admission that what just did was not what zach envisioned so mm-hmm. i guess that dings it a little bit yeah or just an admission that dc just really doesn't have the best writers i feel like that's one of their great weaknesses yeah i i totally yeah. agree i think that the idea of fan campaigning is just really interesting to me and and it's also really interesting to follow along on it what is. ends up being effective and and what doesn't yeah. and you know when fans have a point and when maybe they don't you know like game of thrones is a great example of this i think oh. we were all a little bit disappointed by the finale but it just doesn't seem realistic for you know fans to rally behind trying to get the entire last season remade well it felt like there was so much fan service in the product anyway that I was like, I don't really want to hear people asking for a redo of the final season because the fans have been in a lot of ways really toxic about how they thought that story should go. And I think that that ultimately played a part in why it went the way it did. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we just need to let sleeping dogs lie. It's done. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's a really good point. I do love that the fans truly, it truly seems like the fans made this happen. I really did not think we were ever going to see the Snyder Cut. It was a running joke on Twitter for such a long period of time, at least with the film Twitter people that I follow, that when they did finally announce this, I think, wasn't there, there was a day a few months ago, maybe it was earlier this year, I don't know, um, where all the DC actors were tweeting hashtag release the Snyder cut and we thought that may actually be the announcement and then it wasn't they were just all playing a joke or something I don't know right mm-hmm. right and then it happened it was like oh my gosh I can't believe this so I would like to see some other fandom step up and maybe maybe we need to start campaigning for a Wizarding World TV series like they were maybe campaigning we for a Snyder cut or or campaigning for these phones to stop listening to us as we're recording <laughs> podcasts I can't make heads or tails of how it works or why some things are more effective than others, you know, because I don't think it's all necessarily um, audience demand, although that's part of it, because we've seen, for example, change.org positions aimed at, you know, fan campaigns 
with smaller numbers getting renewed versus, you know, or saved versus, you know, fan campaigns with like larger numbers never getting off the ground. So it's very interesting. Okay, so we're now joined by one of our bays, Becky. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, everybody. So cool to be talking to you. Hiya. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about yourself. Well, first of all, I have to thank all of you for all of the entertainment that you've given to me over the years. I looked back and I started listening to MuggleCast in 2006. Oh, wow. And I, I looked back, the very first episode was number 43 that I listened to. Dang. And I've been listening to Millennial since it started. So awesome. I just yeah. wanted to make sure Aww. I said that. Yeah, well, thanks. We've known you for a long time. We actually got dinner a year or two ago at yeah. this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, yeah. Right when you uh, first because... moved to Chicago. So how long has that been? <laughs> three years. So it's been three years. Okay, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, so you're in the Chicago area. Are you vaccinated? <laughs> I am. And okay. my children and my husband, we are all up to date on our vaccinations. Wonderful. So you are next in our Bay queue and knowing you and you've been on some of our Bay hangouts, I thought we could talk about working from home during the pandemic and juggling raising kids at the same time. So many people are having this issue right now, my sister included. She's trying to teach from home over her Google Chromebook while she's got two kids, ages one and two, clamoring over her. Oh so gosh. I thought we could hear from a mom who's who's juggling work and parenting right now. What has that experience been like for you so far? It has definitely been challenging. I think that when everything first went down, I mean, it was almost depressing, right? I w- it was like, how on earth am I going to do this? I have a four-year-old and I have a six-year-old who's on the autism spectrum. And so it's just I just remember being so overwhelmed. I think I took that first week off that everything closed down. But, you know, we adjust. Everybody adjusts. Kids are resilient. Um, I think I'm I'm happy that I have kids the age that I have, because if they were really young like that, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I can't even imagine all the sleepless nights and doing all that. but you know we're we're getting through it it but it is it's challenging i mean on a daily basis they are in my meetings they are <laughs> they say hi to my coworkers they barge in they're yelling and sometimes i have to say i can't go to the meeting you guys i'm so sorry but my 4 year old's having the hugest meltdown and there would there would be no point to the meeting and they just but i am so so lucky that my job is understanding yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i think employers have to be right now because everybody is facing this situation um yeah we're all in this together yeah and i think something you said a couple of minutes ago also uh, made me think that like we have all been thrust into this and you as a parent you just have to roll with the punches like you have no other choice and that's how yes. everybody what everybody is facing right now do you have any tips yourself on how to effectively deal with a challenging situation like this or have you heard any great tips Well, just what you said, you have to have sort of a sense of humor about it. You really do. You just have to, you know, your, my daughter comes in here and just, I don't know, yells in the middle of my meeting. I have to go potty. I'm like, (laughs) great. Be there in a second. Hold on everybody. You know, and they just laugh because what else can we do? I mean, again, I feel like at least we're all in the same boat. So my boss and my coworkers are understanding. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say, my one of my biggest things is self-care 
I mean, and this goes for anybody in the pandemic, right? I mean, it's not just parents, but if I walk into the other room where my children are at, they will talk to me nonstop. They will ask me questions. If I am in this house, they will come find me. It doesn't matter if I'm in the bathroom, if I'm sleeping, if I'm at work, it, they don't, there's no doors, you know, for them. So I get out of the house every single day. I go for a walk. I started doing this right after like those first few depression weeks. And I walk like 25, 30 miles a week now. Wow. Whoa. That's crazy. I just have got to get away from all of the questions and all of the mommy, mommy, mommies. And that is for me has been so wonderful. Good for you for you yeah. know deciding you're going to do that. And then, wow, knocking out 25 to 30 miles a week. So That's then amazing. when you leave the house, your husband takes over for that time that you're out. Or... He's there for sure, but he's also working, right? Right. So we're at, he's in the basement. I'm upstairs in my office. So <laughs> I usually do it around lunchtime. Sometimes if it's too hot, I'll do it earlier in the day before they even wake up. Yeah. But otherwise, if I do it at lunchtime, I just give them a video while they're watching their lunch. Yeah. I admit it. I overuse the videos, but you know, we got to survive right now. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. These are I, not normal times. I used to be one of those people who was like, can you, I don't, you know, sh- should you limit the screen time for a child? And then I saw the effects it has on my nephews when, you know, they're screaming and crying like Trey, we'd be driving with him and he hated being in the car for some reason. You just stick that phone in front of him and zoop, he's zoned in on that freaking <laughs> mm-hmm. screen. If it works, you know, you got to do it. Why not? It's not like you're giving them drugs. I, right. <laughs> at this time, I just think it's just we're all inside so much. We're all at home and just together. We get hardly any other input. You know, I try. We go for walks with the kids and bike rides and get them out, too. And we do FaceTime with grandma. But, you know, they're stuck here, too. It's just it's just such a crazy situation. And, you yeah. know, it's just it's just sort of the way the way that it is. But, you know, I feel very lucky. You know, I have a job. Number one. You know, how more depressed would I be if I didn't? Right. You know, so Mm -hmm. at least I have a job. I've got a job where I can work from home. I don't have to leave the house. We don't have to hire babysitters and have that extra risk in our house. And my job is super understanding. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to try to remember all of those good things, even though it's a crazy, crazy time right now. Do you find that with the flexibility with your job um, and then, you know, having to take time out of your day to make sure that the kids are all situated. Have you had to take a more flexible approach towards your working schedule? Some of my coworkers have had to start doing things like starting like later in the day so that after the kids go to bed, they can work into the night. Is Are those the kinds of things that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I get up at 6 a.m., so that I'm up before them and I get a good couple hours in before they ever even wake up. And then I give them a video with breakfast and then I can work for, you know, I can kind of get a good three hour chunk there. Um, We just started school this week. And so that's going to totally throw a wrench into things Mm -hmm. for me. And we're we're just going to have to get through that as well. But up until now, I've been able to do that. And then they've been playing together really well. So I do that. And then I just take breaks and I, go and handle it if they're fighting, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I try to engage them in crafts. Um, and yeah, I just take breaks during the day. And then I just work a little bit later when I know that I've spent a lot of time with them. And yeah, of course, there's times I work on the weekend or in the evenings after they're in bed. But I've also been, I don't know, a little bit more flexible 
in just thinking about myself and my own output, my job is literally not expecting me to work a regular 40 hour week plus overtime Good. and all this stuff. And so they, they understand it. Like you said before, Andrew, everybody has to understand right now, this is just, it's not the most ideal thing and we just have to get through it. So, I mean, there are days where I just throw in the towel. I just go, oh, right. I just, this isn't the best day for me. I'm just going to end it now. I'm just going to close that computer and I'm just going to go in the other room and I'm just, you know, it, I don't know. It just, it just is what it is. You know, it really, really does help just closing the computer and walking away. You get mm -hmm. so bogged down in the stress of the day. You're like, you think in the back of your head, how am I going to get out of this? But if you do walk away in time over the course of an hour or something, you'll find that stuff will finally get out of your head and you'll be able to feel better. I frequently forget that. And then I try to remind <laughs> myself, if I actually do walk away, I will start feeling better at some point. So maybe I should. And getting outside and outdoors, that's going to get harder as it gets colder here anyway. Andrew, you won't right. have that as much. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think getting outside is really important for me. If yeah. I don't get outside, I'm definitely more cranky. Yeah. So your kids are remote learning this year. They are. Yes. Yeah. And you said it just started. So you'll you'll see how that goes, hopefully well. I noticed during Jill Biden's speech at the DNC, it was, I thought it was effective in convincing on the fence voters that Joe and his administration can get the virus under control and that kids can get back to school. She hosted her speech from a classroom and she said, look, if Joe's in office, we'll be able to get the kids back in school. And I feel like that was a plea to parents who are now facing their kids learning at home while they're trying to juggle work at home. You know, as a parent, I don't really feel like, I mean, it was in the classroom. I do get that, but that wasn't what I got out of it. I got out more just that Joe and her are good people. They're going to do the best for us. You know, they're going to do what's right. Um, and as we know, just about anybody could do better than Trump. So what, I mean, as a parent, when I think of my kids going back to the classroom, I would rather compare to other countries like Canada or other places that did kind of do right by their citizens and have a, you know, something in place for the whole country and see how they're faring. Because in the end, it's still a pandemic. Kids are still going to get sick. And that worries me. And so I think that they of course, are going to do a better job than Trump, you know. Mm -hmm. um, as with school and stuff, I feel like it's just, in the best of days, schools are a huge germ place, right. you know. And I can't, I don't know, I, I, even when things are good, I just, I think it would be super hard for me to send them back. Yeah. I get it. And I mean, there was a time a few months ago where we thought, oh, coronavirus will be pretty much eradicated from America by fall and we'll be able to send the kids back to school. No problem. And of course, that was definitely not the case. And now it all rides on the vaccine because we see we can't get it under control here unless we have this damn vaccine. And that's scary, too, because we don't know how effective that's going to be, if it's going to be effective and when we're going to be able to get it. So we're talking, you know, almost the entire school year, really, yeah. until we know, until we really know. And so I hear so many 
parents and, and I get it's the tough situation, man. I mean, I am in the luckiest position where I can stay home with my parent, with my kids, but I can't imagine people that have to go to work and the choices that they have to make with either sending their kids to school when they don't want that to, or sending them to a babysitter and just increasing their risk for getting it, you know? Um, so I feel, I don't know, I feel lucky that I don't have to worry about some of those things, but at the same time, I don't know. It's just such a crazy, crazy time. I, I don't, I don't think I would send it back the whole year unless we had a vaccine that was like proven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other problem with that too, is that the vaccine's only going to work, even if it is effective, it's only going to work if a large percentage of our population gets it right. So if people are exercising the same amount of anti-science that they are thus far, I think it's very yeah. likely that not enough people will get vaccinated and then you still have the same problem. Not to mention right. the anti-vaxxer movement was on the rise even before yeah. all of this happened. So right. I've been thinking about that too. What I've been thinking about is, do you want to take other medical advice from Donald Trump? Like, do you want to go to him when you have, you know, the flu or cancer? So you have a question for us, Becky, related to the election. Yeah. So my husband and I have been talking about, so he's much more political than I am. And he's very anxious about this uh, time and almost like, oh, my God, what will happen if Trump wins? What will we do? Like, he is just really, really scared of that possibility. And of course, we're going to do our part. We're going to vote. We're going to encourage everybody we know to vote. But at some point, what else What else can you do? And so we've been talking about what are some self-care steps that we can take ourselves between now and the next 60-some days till the election to keep ourselves sane and not having anxiety attacks. And <laughs> I just wondered what what kind of self-care you guys think that you're going to do because you are more into politics as well. I feel like this might not work for everybody, but for me, one thing that really is helpful is cutting back on how in tune I am with the news. Even for somebody like me who is in, you know, the news profession, I'm a journalist. I, if I don't feel the need to check, and this is for any kind of news, if I don't feel the need to check the news every five minutes, and news is my job, then nobody else should feel the need to do that either. You can 100% get by by checking in the morning and at night. And that's it. And if that helps you feel less anxious, there's no shame in doing that. Nobody needs to be glued to to a 24-hour news cycle. I was going to say that too, actually. I think it's very easy to be checking the news all the time. And I will be managing how much time I spend uh, reading the New York Times on Twitter because there's nothing but news on there and it can get yeah. so depressing sometimes. And then, of course, the 24-hour channels like Pam was getting at. I get angry every time I watch MSNBC or CNN and I'm not touching Fox News, of course. So I've been watching them a lot less because between the coronavirus coverage and the Trump stuff and, you know, they all bitch about Trump as they rightfully should, but I just can't take it. It's just not good for my mental health. So I really try to manage it. I like Pam's idea of just check the New York Times twice a day, you know, the right. website morning and night, just to see what's going on. And then Becky, like you said, taking walks, um, 
Pat and I did a hike last weekend. We really loved it. They really do like as as you have experienced, walks and hikes can really clear your head. I I just love doing that. I love getting outside, not look at a screen, don't look at my phone, and just enjoy nature. Um, that works really well for me too. And then uh video games, they help me relax. Drinking helps me relax. <laughs> Just just <laughs> sitting outside for I've got a backyard now. So sitting outside that can put me in a better mood um, because we spend so much damn time indoors. And then I think we forget how refreshing it is even to just step outside for a couple of minutes and breathe some fresh air. Also, very quickly before because I'm sure Laura has some good advice to you. Um, I wanted to talk about Twitter specifically because I know sometimes you know, it's hard for people to stay off Twitter because it's kind of like the communal watering hole, right? Like you want to participate in social media, but you can curate your feed, take advantage of the list feature and just create a space where you don't have to be inundated with politics, whether that means you're following maybe, you know, um, some fan accounts or like your friends that maybe aren't retweeting CNN, Politico, New York Times headlines all day long, like you can still enjoy social media, but be mindful of of what your eyes are, are scanning over um, while also doing that. So yeah, and I think that's why we like Instagram so much, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's less of the doom and gloom. It's it's happier happier things. It's our friends dogs and our friends drinking and our friends Mm -hmm. making out with hot people. I don't know. Yeah, and like curate your feed there you too. You know, make it a nice place. To, I'm thinking of be. all the hot gay guys I see in in uh, in my okay. Instagram. I love I how just... he completely glossed over Andrew talking about hot people making out. And I was like, yeah, make your Instagram a <laughs> you nice see, place. See that all the time. My Discover feed is a wreck. It's it's classic rock stars and hot gay guys. <laughs> and then I like I loaded up. This is unrelated, but I loaded up like one trump photo and now my freaking instagram discover feed is like all these trump fan accounts of pictures of the family and shit oh no oh uh, yeah i gotta get away from that anyway sorry laura yeah. no, no no you're good i i wanted to add like a big plus one to the cable news discussion cable news is an illness in this country like it's just so bad for you some of them are worse than others obviously but overall I don't think that there's a lot to be gained from having a 24-hour news channel on in your home all the time. Um, I haven't had cable in several years, so the temptation has been removed from my life, which is actually really nice. Um, Sort of related to that, I think it's important to be really picky about if you are going to turn on the news, what content are you looking to consume? Um, So this is something I recognized last week with the RNC. There were a couple of times when I tuned in just to see what was going on. And I couldn't bear it for longer than like five minutes because it was just so horrible. And I was like, why am I like, this isn't going to change my mind. I, I am a decided voter. I already know what I'm doing. I don't need to watch the RNC. I don't need to watch every interview that Trump or Biden do, because I already know who I'm voting for. So I'm reserving 
my emotional energy for the debates, for example, because I I think it is important to see how the debates go, because that'll have an impact on the election. But interviews with the candidates at this point, so many Americans aren't paying attention right now. So an interview is not going to be, you know, it's not going to turn the tides one way Mm -hmm. or the other, I don't think. Um, Also, I went ahead and requested, this was like last year, I requested election day and the day following the election off because I know that I'm just not going to be of any use to anyone. So I might as well not even try to show up and phone it in. Um, So I'm just giving myself the space to process whatever happens on that day, be it good or bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then like also just not being too hard on yourself. That's something I'm trying to get better at in relation to the election season, but also just this whole pandemic situation in general, everything's so much harder right now. And I think that a lot of us tend to fall into the bad habit of being hard on ourselves for not being able to handle something the way that we would handle it if we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic. So just reminding myself, like, you know, okay, like, oh, if I gained a few pounds, like, it's not the end of the world. Or like, oh, if I didn't have the most productive day at work, that's just some shit that happens right now. Very much like what you were talking about earlier, recognizing when it's okay and healthy to throw in the towel for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Just remember, Um, all that stuff is going to be there for you tomorrow to take care of. Like, there's always another day. Take things one day at a time. It's a cliche, but like, it's really important to remember. I think that helps manage that helps me manage stress sometimes. Like, just worry about today. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about tomorrow. Live in the now, man. <laughs> Marijuana helps too, but <laughs> I I recognize that's not for everyone. Yes, yes. <laughs> another thing that we're trying to do is like feed ourselves more positive content to counter that. Yeah, that's so a great idea. Podcasts and whatever positive books and even just funny movies or just anything that's just not politics, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. I was actually just going to add that. Some good trashy TV. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always down for like a good marathon of some trash. Like this probably doesn't classify to most people as trash, but I love Shark Tank, Undercover Boss, HGTV. Like give me a marathon of any of those shows and I'll be set for a whole Sunday. So I think just like cozying up with a good show and just that it's a good way to help you forget and decompress. For me, it's Queer Eye, Andrew. Oh, yes, of course. I don't rewatch those, but maybe I should. Yeah, rewatch them because you'll have forgotten that the very first ones, you know, they're so good. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And also like mindless games that don't require a ton of know-how to pick them up. Like Andrew mentioned Fall Guys on the show a couple weeks ago. Did you play that? That Yes. Well, I got it. (laughs) Because, I mean, I downloaded it for free because it was one of the free games on PS Plus. But um, it's so good. It's so easy to pick up. Like, you don't have to do any kind of prep or research beforehand. And the characters are so cute. Your kids would love it. Um, And it's just, you know, you're racing through these obstacle courses. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, Very addictive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. So, Becky, thanks for sharing all that. And thanks for being open about what you're going through. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And you're going to hang around with us on uh, After Dark today. Laura and I have some drama going on in our lives. I got some bad news today about the sale of my condo. So that's great. And setting me back probably months. So I'll talk about that. And I'm going to 
go in on a certain someone because I am so fucking pissed. <laughs> anyway, that'll be available on our Patreon today. And speaking of our Patreon, we just wanted to take a quick moment to mention that this week's episode has been sponsored by listeners like you. And we wanted to thank our latest patrons. They are Danielle, Melissa, Lauren, Robert, Sarah, Natalie, Kathleen, Michelle, Alex, Erica, Ashley, Shelby, and Zach. And a special thank you to a number of you who went ahead and signed up for annual subscriptions really helps us out a lot. And we love knowing that we have y'all on board with us for a full year so we can share all of our crazy drama with you. Yeah, we do have these new annual subscriptions. If you have an existing subscription, you can easily upgrade and you will save 10% on your overall subscription if you do pledge for a year up front. The benefits don't change. You get the same exact stuff. It just, it just changes when you pay. And again, that's all at patreon.com slash millennial. It's time now for recommendations. So here's a throwback. I doubt any of you played this, but... And also, this is very straight. So I'm just warning everybody. This is this is straight Andrew coming out for a couple minutes. So when I was a kid, I used to play a game on Nintendo 64 called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And I would skateboard in a video game. And it was just so good. It was a great game. Everybody who played it loved it. Well, they've remade Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. And it's coming to PlayStation 4 this week. I pre-ordered it because I was really excited to relive this game again. Now in 4K, beautiful graphics. And I think they added a lot more to it too. So I have the demo. I've been playing with the demo a little bit, getting ready for the full game. And I really love it. So check that out. I just wanted to let anybody know who played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater back in the day. It's coming back for PlayStation 4 better than ever. All right. Goodbye, straight Andrew. See you later. Joke's on you because I used to play this game all the time. Yeah, <gasps> me too. You shouldn't make oh, assumptions, yeah, they Andrew. They have the best soundtrack. Oh my god! Yes, yes, they do. Oh my gosh, guys, come over and play with me. I would love to after pandemic. <laughs> okay, I'll keep you guys posted on the PlayStation Four adaptation. Perfect. Wow, that's so cool that you guys played too. You guys were skater boys, right? Yes. Straight Pam and Straight Laura came out too. (laughs) We came out swinging. (laughs) As we're talking about the election um, and sort of figuring out what part we can all play working up to November, I wanted to recommend um, volunteering either with Joe Biden or with whatever local candidates are running um, in elections near you to phone bank or write postcards or send text messages. There are so many low pressure ways that you can be involved in someone's campaign nowadays. Like if you don't like talking on the phone, totally fine, because you can sign up to be one of those folks who texts people reminders about um, when they have elections coming up and where their polling places are or to make sure that they're registered to vote. You can also write postcards to send to eligible voters. This was something I did with the ACLU for the 2018 midterms. They were hosting a campaign where um, you would write postcards and they would send them to um, voters who had sat out the last election to remind them to vote in this election. Um, so there are tons of opportunities to be able to do that either with a candidate directly or with um, groups like the ACLU. So definitely recommend checking that out. I'm signed up to send text messages for Joe. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, That's really cool. It's good to remember that. Um, I wanted to recommend Get on up just in honor of Chadwick Boseman. And I wanted to recommend this one specifically first because 
y'all know that I love me a good music biopic, but also just because I feel like out of all of the biopics that he's done, this one maybe gets the least amount of love. Um, It is about the rise and fall of James Brown, who is what many um, agree, who is who many agree to be the grandfather of funk music. Uh, It's got a really great cast, though. Um, So Dan Aykroyd's in this, Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis. It's just really good. And I would highly recommend watching it if you maybe missed it when it was released back in 2014. Cool. And Becky, do you have a recommendation for us? I'm going to do two of my favorite podcasts. One of them is called Unlocking Us by Brene Brown. Um, She is... Yeah. All right. Great. You've heard of her. So, yeah, yeah, I she's love her. My very favorite author. <laughs> um, and her podcast is just amazing. And then also um, The Happiness Lab by Dr. Lori Santos. I don't know if you guys have I've heard covered of that. that before. Um, she had the biggest class at Yale or something like that, that every student signed up for. And it was about happiness. And so she made um, a podcast now from that class. And it's also exceptional. Excellent. That sounds like it'll help you de-stress. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. That's also where we have the confessional. We have received some good ones recently, and uh, we're going to try to get to them in the next couple of weeks. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Like we said, coming up in After Dark, Laura and I both have some home drama to talk about, and I'm, I might actually cry about um and i'm definitely gonna yell about get ready for rage andrew coming out once i read this letter i received from somebody and was all a lie a big fat lie to close us out today we'll be playing all the stars from the black panther soundtrack thanks everybody for listening i'm andrew i'm laura i'm pamela and i'm becky bye everybody bye Ain't nothing new to me